Hey, welcome back to Crimes in Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth coming at you in my closet in North Carolina. How's it going, Beth? How's it going, Christy? It's good my way. It's pretty good my way. I mean, you've got some weather or had some weather or getting some weather. I don't know. What is what is happening with the tropical we storm Etta? Some hurricane. We had a hurricane come through here and everything is fine. Our farm is flooded. Mm. I didn't leave my house today. I'm definitely rocking the pajamas, pajama sweats, leisure, athleisure wear. <laughs> oh, noise, noise. Yes. So, but good. We're all good. Sweet. We survived. Okay. Well, good. Survived. Every time I see the name of the storm, it's it's Etta, right? Yeah. I think it's ETA, and I'm like, well, when is the ETA of that storm? <laughs> Anybody know? The ETA. It's come. It's come and gone. Coming ETA on. has come and gone, yes. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, I just got off a, another Zoom. No, it wasn't a Zoom. It was a Google Meets <laughs> call. I've never done Google Meets before, but with my volleyball team from high school. And it has been twenty so special. It is special because it was twenty-five years since our team won the state championships. And we were the first team in that high school to win the state championships. <laughs> so hey yo, we are in the presence know, yeah, of a champion. Yes, big deal, big deal, big deal. I was trying to explain to my children at dinner today what I was doing because one of them was doing homework, high schooler. And I was like, do you need any help? Because I'm available to you until 6.30. And then you'll just have to wait until your dad gets home. And he's like, well, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to the basement. And I'm going to go on a Google chat, <laughs> Google meet. And I told him who I was meeting with. And I was like, so you can go ahead and brag to your friends if you want about your mom. He <laughs> <laughs> didn't find it as amusing as I did. I can literally <laughs> see his face right now. Just like, like. Basically, so you have a high school a, volleyball thing, then do you, mom? Yeah, right. Do you? You know, he's going to talk about all this stuff that you did 25 years ago. Yes. And it's Christy be and I phenomenal. both played volleyball in high school. That's that's amazing, isn't it? Actually, because we are like five inches apart in height. I was just going to say we are completely different in stature. <laughs> For real. <laughs> Not that I wasn't even like one of the tallest people on my team, but <laughs> I am extremely short. It's fine. I had my I had my area of expertise. <laughs> Defensive specialist. <laughs> yep. And everyone looks so cute in those little knee pads. Oh gosh, I hated knee pads. I swear, by the way, this is a total story note since you mentioned knee pads. Anytime I work out or run, the only thing, not the only thing, but the most major sweat is in my knees or on my knees. So like I will have my, the rest of my pants will be dry and my knees will just be a ball of sweat. And I swear That's it's because so I was knee weird. for so long that like my knees just sweat automatically. <laughs> I don't know. Wouldn't that be know weird if that really was? Why? I don't know. Look it up. During your formative know. years, that's where your body learned how to <laughs> sweat. Sweats through my knees. That's literally 
I'm going to take a picture and send it to you one day you after should. I run or something or whatever. Any workout. It's my knees. You just see big sweat. Better than a knees. butt sweat. Yes, I don't get the butt sweat. <laughs> well, I'll take both pictures. So you you don't belong see. at Walmart then. <laughs> that was mean. Such <laughs> a mean person. <laughs> and true. <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> Um, anyway, well, so are you ready for this? I'm, I'm actually really excited to get into this today. So I'm so excited about this. We were just talking about this the other day, how we're so freaking busy that we don't have time to listen to any of our true crime podcasts. So Christy is my podcast. Mm -hmm. She is my true crime fix. So give it to me. I will give it to you. And it's, it's kind of actually funny um, because this has a little bit of a, well, not a little bit, it has a connection to Long Island, which is funny because that's who I was just talking to a whole bunch of New Yorkers and everybody except for two of us live there still. And so their accents are on point. Like I just left, <laughs> I'm surprised that I'm not talking like them right now because I was on that call. And since last two weeks ago, maybe it was when I accidentally said daughter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I felt like I needed to bring it back to my roots. So we're going to take this one to Long Island. Okay, good. <laughs> I did a case that was in Long Island, by the way. The you Halloween did. You one. did. Yes. 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 And, and it kind of also, that's what also piqued my interest. I was like, I've never done one from where I'm from. What's yes. wrong with me? <laughs> bring it home. So here we go. So we are also going to take this back to 1983. You know, Billie Jean, Beat It, Flashdance, Man Eater. Come yes. on. Yes. Greatest songs Isn't ever. Man Eater. <laughs> <laughs> yep, mm -hmm, exactly. And what else was popular at that time? Big Hair. Yes, Aquanet. Aquanet's Big Hair, and especially on Long Island, New York. I mean, I don't know about any other place, but I feel like it was like... Oh, also in West Virginia. Yeah. But isn't it still in West Virginia? <laughs> no? <laughs> Sorry. Actually, <Sorry>. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just checking. So the events of this case take place about actually 30 minutes from where I lived and it's in East Northport and this is in Suffolk County which when you told your Halloween story it was in Nassau County which is where I grew up there's two counties on the island the island is shaped like a fish and on the east end you have like Brooklyn and then on the other end which I don't really actually consider Long Island because that's like Queens and you know the other boroughs but it's actually part of that fish island okay. and then all the way on the east side is montauk and so this one east northport is pretty much close to the middle of the island but on the north side of the island and lisa weaver is an 18 year old girl who had just finished high school and was spending the summer having fun with friends watching all my children which apparently she was addicted to I never watched that one. I don't know if you did, but I didn't watch all my children. No, I didn't either. I think I was, um, oh gosh, days of our lives. I didn't, oh, I wasn't a Lord. Yeah. I watched one. It was days of our lives. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, 
She was addicted to all my children. Stefano. Yes, Stefano, that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's still there. I mean, he's like 750 years old, but he's still there. Right? He's Jennifer mm-hmm. Aniston's dad. Shut up. Really? Yes, it is. See, well, I don't used pay to be. I don't know if it's still him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've been the same Stefano. In, in, the, in the 80s, it was Jennifer Aniston's dad. Oh, interesting. I'll have to look that up, see if it was the same guy that I remember. Anyway, okay, so she's having fun with friends, watching her soaps, and meeting the man of her dreams. She was a pretty girl who had been a cheerleader and a gymnast. And so basically, I feel like it kind of goes along with just having a dynamic personality. And one day, she was walking into town and past a gas station where Matthew Solomon was working. And he noticed her immediately, like, you know, like, uh, I don't even know what song, like Dreamweaver is like in his head as she's walking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm loving all these 80s references. (laughs) Take a breath away. Is that 80s? I don't think it is. (laughs) I don't even know. (laughs) Anyway, so he sees her walking by and he whistles at her, which... And, like, runs out to meet her, which back in the day, I feel like, you know, you kind of, like, enjoyed that whistle. And now you're like, <laughs> what the mm, are you doing, dude? Well, like, you get your mace no. out. You get your mace yeah, exactly. out. exactly. 100%. <laughs> I guess he just figured, what do I have to lose? I've noticed a beautiful girl, and I just have to meet her. So they talk for a little bit, and he asks her out. And according to family members, she had never really been smitten by anyone before Matthew. So this is like love at first sight, I guess. So they start dating, spending lots of time together. And Matthew quickly becomes like a part of the family. Lisa's dad had cancer. And so they would call on Matthew to do lots of little odds and ends around the house. Um. And about two years into their relationship, on Christmas Eve of 1985, Matthew proposes to Lisa. And, of course, she says yes. Lisa is now a loan loan processor at a local bank. And Matthew is a sheet metal worker, which I had no idea what that meant. But it pretty much means exactly what it says. Like, he basically works with sheet metal. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Got it. When I read the description, I was like. That doesn't even sound like a description. That just means like, oh, he works with sheets of metal. Great. (laughs) So if I'm wrong, people, and you work in the sheet metal industry, please let us know. (laughs) But anyway, over the course of the next 10 months, Lisa and Matthew break up several times. Oh, no. As I feel like as a lot of younger relationships, you're like on again, off again. I mean, not everybody, but, you know. Not after the engaged part. Well, that's true. I guess that's true. That is a little bit awkward or different. So family members say that it's due to Lisa's temper and Matthew also being slightly possessive. An example of this is when is given by Lisa's mother. She said Lisa would tell Matthew like, oh, I don't want to go out tonight because I need to stay home and wash and dry my hair and take, you know, and she, cause she always took care of her hair, which seems oh, like a total cliche. My. Gosh. Like example, but this is the example that was in the documentary that I watched. That seems like I gotta wash my hair. I can't. I can't go out tonight. I have to wash my hair. 
So wow. um, I have to get the, yeah. all of this hairspray out of my hair right now, Matthew. Yeah. I'm going to need you to just postpone this dinner. <laughs> it, takes, it takes a lot to get out. <laughs> but he would insist on coming over and just like basically sitting there watching her do that. So it's not like he would just be like, okay, I'll go out with the guys tonight. Like he's like, no, let me come over and wash you, watch you wash your hair out. Like, I don't know. That seems a little weird, but anyway, it could go either way, I guess. You're possessive and you just have to be around her all the time or you're just so in love with her that you want to spend every second you can with her. Whatever. Mm. Take it how you want. Or also, she's kind of weird for being like, I can't go to dinner with you because I got to wash my hair. Well, <laughs> yes. Like, but I don't know You'd want to like... call her on that, you know? And be yes, like, you should no, call you her don't. On. No. Just come out. You have a left enough hairspray and it'll be fine <laughs> everything is going to stay exactly where it's supposed to just come to right. dinner okay. <laughs> anyway so they basically just had this on again off again they would fight over silly things break up whatever but every single time they would realize that they just couldn't live without each other and they would get back together so on october 25th 1986 in front of a small gathering of 40 people they pledged their love together and vowed to love each other until death do they part. And they went on a honeymoon to Hawaii. And when they returned in November, they moved into an apartment on the second floor of a house in Huntington Station, which was only about 10 minutes east of where their families lived, which actually I believe a good friend of mine lives in Huntington Station currently. Um. They were living together for the first time in their relationship, so they're just starting their life as man and wife, which is very common for people on Long Island. I think I've said this, like, you live with your parents until you get married, and then you move out, and then you <laughs> also above somebody else, like in somebody else's house. That's exactly what Emery, our first apartment was above somebody else's house. Got it. Which we only lived there for a very short time before we moved. But anyway. It's not uncommon. On Christmas Eve in 1987, Lisa called her mother super excited about her plans for the evening. Her and Matthew were going to celebrate their first Christmas as a married couple and their two-month wedding anniversary with a lobster dinner and champagne. Perfect. Yes. Although she would be having this romantic evening with her husband, she told her mother she would still attend midnight mass with her that evening, which... Is also a common thing for Catholics to go to midnight mass on Christmas Eve. I don't know if you yes. are aware of that. Yes. And so Lisa would be picking her up sometime before that. So their evening goes just as planned. They have a wonderful dinner, manage to drink three bottles of champagne between the two of them, oh. which boggles my mind because if she plans on going to pick her mom up for mass, why is she drinking three bottles of wine? It's the 80s. It is the 80s. I don't know what time they started. It's not till midnight. She's probably thinking I can, you know, burn some of this off. <laughs> it's Christmas Eve. I mean, you know, people did. Yeah. People did some things back in the 80s. It's fine. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So but I would be vomiting just so just so we're well, all clear here. <laughs> yes. On um, for sure on champagne. Like mm -hmm. I can't do that. Like there's just no way I can do that. And lobster. So, well, it's buttery. I guess. Well, I guess, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't eat lobster anyways. But anyway. Okay. So bottles of, bottles of champagne and lobster. They head to the bedroom 
for a little bit of intimate time together. Oops, sorry. And then they watch some TV. I'm probably watching all my children, like reruns or something, <laughs> or like taped it, VHS. Matthew started to fall asleep <laughs> and is awakened by Lisa around 11 p.m. And she's angry at him for falling asleep on the night that they are celebrating their first Christmas Eve together. And she's also starting to feel the emotions of her parents spending the holidays alone since her dad is still very ill. So they argue for a little bit. And finally, Lisa says that she just needs to go blow off some steam and take a walk. And Matthew knows that this is just something that she do she has to do and so lets her leave. He assumes that she'll be back in about 15 minutes or so, falls asleep waiting for her. He wakes up about 5 or 5.30 and realizes that she's not home. At 6 a.m., he calls Lisa's mother, Diane, who is awakened by his call. So now we know that Lisa was supposed to go to midnight mass with mom. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. But Diane says that she showered, got dressed, and was ready a little bit early and was tired, so she just laid down figuring when Lisa got there, she would come in and wake her up and go to Mass. But Lisa never made it to her house, so her mom stayed asleep and was awoken by Matthew's phone call. So she immediately heads over to the apartment to be with Matthew. Matthew said that Lisa left with no jacket, no keys, and didn't bring her an inhaler, which apparently she had severe asthma. Okay. They call the police, but basically are told they need to wait 24 hours to make a missing persons report. Oh. But neither one – I know. Huge, huge thing on a lot of these cases. Like, gotta wait, gotta wait, gotta mm -hmm. wait. The older ones, yeah. Right. So neither one of them are willing to wait the 24 hours. So they basically start searching themselves. And they somehow managed to corral friends, just local off-duty police, the Blue Knights, which is apparently a local biker game, gang, to, like, start searching for her. What? Yeah. The couple's – their apartment basically becomes a command center, and Matthew has, like, maps and is leading the charge, telling people where to search, marking off places they do, all – like, whole nine yards. What in the world? I know. So they end up filing a missing persons report and the police also start searching for Lisa and they hear, you know, they start investigating, start talking to neighbors and they hear from neighbors that the couple had argued, which is not a surprise because that's what Matthew has been saying from the beginning. We had an argument, whatever. The search continues for the next six days. And on New Year's Eve, during one of the searches of a wooded area, Lisa's cousin is one of the people that's searching and he crosses the street, kind of like there's a search team on one end of the street or one side of the street. And then so he starts to walk and he's like, oh, I'm going to cross over and start walking on this side and start going in this wooded area. And he spots not far off um, several garbage bags. And most of them are soft and just like filled with leaves and stuff. Because apparently, according to the most accounts, this is like an area where people go and dump all of their leaves. I don't know. Who knows? He then kicks one and he kicks something hard. So he opens the bag and sees an arm frozen to a leg. Oh, no. And when he opens it more, he can see that it is, it is his cousin Lisa frozen, like, in the fetal position in oh this garbage bag. Oh, my gosh. Bag. What are the odds, man? Right. I know. Exactly. And I'll explain to what happened about or happened to Lisa 
after this break. When you give up hope, that's when you, you stop doing anything, and I'll never stop doing it. So, yeah, she's alive. She's alive somewhere, and I'm going to find her. In fact, okay, so what you just heard was a clip of a news interview that Matthew had given while Lisa was missing. And now Matthew is getting the call that his wife of two months has been found. Yeah. He immediately runs out the door drives like a bat out of hell to the scene, gets there and start ru- starts running towards the body. And Lisa's cousin has to grab him and practically tackle him and like rips his jacket because nobody wants him to see Lisa in the state that she's in. And he's visiting and then apparently passes out and has to be taken away from the scene in an ambulance. Hmm. So now this case has gone from missing persons to a murder investigation. And Lisa's friends are saying that she would never have left and gone for a walk that late at night because she was just scared of the dark. And then not to mention, it was so cold that she wouldn't leave without her inhaler or her jacket. So, as usual, the husband becomes the prime suspect, as in most, you know, cases. Mm-hmm. And, but he's been so forthcoming And there's, like, nothing tying him to this. You know, he said, we had an argument. She had to blow off steam. She goes for walks, blah, blah, blah. Like, whatever. So, mom doesn't believe Diane. Her mom doesn't believe that Matthew has anything to do with this. So, they just start looking for people that may have wanted to hurt her. Matthew remembers a strange guy that Lisa told him about. And his name is Rob. We don't know his last name. Nothing else. He had called looking to get a loan for a car he wanted to buy. And Lisa was in charge of his loan and they had spoken several times on the phone and Rob would flirt with her and ask her out. Mind you, they never met in person. So he's just, you know, asking someone sight unseen (laughs) out. And every time, yeah, every time Lisa would turn him down and say, Oh, I'm getting married soon. You know, I can't blah, blah, blah. And then Rob would also, he randomly called Diane, Lisa's mother, on Christmas Eve, the night Lisa went missing, to wish her a Merry Christmas. Okay. So this is a loan officer. Like, you've gotten loans before. Uh huh. uh -huh. Do you know personal things about this family? You know, like zero. Zero. And and think about, think about the time too. You know, like you don't have Facebook, you don't have, you know, all the stuff that you have now that you could just like type her name in, you know, and find out a whole bunch of information about her. So this like weird that he would have gotten his, her mom's number, right? Super weird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So clearly the police are looking heavily into Rob. No one knows his last name, so they have to get the records from the bank to figure out who he is. So they finally do this, and they start questioning him, asking him why he didn't inquire about her since he was so into her. Like, why didn't you come and ask? Like, why? Where? what happened to her? What's going on? Well, Rob says that he only knew her by her maiden name and had never met her, so he didn't even know what she looked like. Because, again, like I said... Well, then how did he get her mom's number? Well... Exactly. That's her maiden name. Well, 
her mom's her mom would have her maiden name. Exactly. If you looked, she he only knew her. So when okay, she got went it. missing, and they're reporting Lisa, um, Solomon. He got knew it. her as Lisa Weaver, so he could get mom's name or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, because Weaver was their last name. So he just, like, I don't even know that she was missing because I didn't know you were talking about the same person because I see her picture and I've never seen her before. I don't know her new last name. So anyway, Rob has also has an alibi. He isn't anywhere near Lisa where Lisa lives and is, in fact, with family for the holidays. So this excludes Rob. Even though he's extremely strange, <laughs> he's excluded. So, meanwhile, the police had found some fibers on the top of the garbage bag that Lisa was in. And they resembled some sort of, like, carpet fiber. So they sent them off to the FBI in Washington, D.C. for analysis. And this clearly will take some time at this point in DNA. Or not DNA, but, you know, uh, what's it called? Forensic analysis. So, in the meantime... They just start taking a bit of a closer look at Matthew. As they comb through interview transcripts and recordings, they notice a few interesting things. One of which was that he consistently, in all of these interviews, referred to her in the past tense. Mm. She was my best friend. Stuff like that. Okay. January 5th comes, 1988, and they ask Matthew for consent to search their apartment. And his car again. And he consents to all of that with no problem. The apartment is cleared, but when they search the car, they find carpeting in the trunk that looks similar to the fibers that they had found on the garbage bag. So they take a sample of this and send it off to the FBI lab for comparison. And a few days later, the fibers come back as a match to the ones on the garbage bag. Oh, no. So on January 11th, 1988... As Matthew is stopped at a stoplight, some say that he had just left his dad's, others say he had just left home to go to work. Either way, he's at a stoplight and the police swarm him and arrest him. As And as he's being taken away, he asks, is there anything more on the Rob guy? <laughs> that, those are his comments. Wow. Okay. <laughs> anything more on Rob? <laughs> as you're, as you're arresting me. Away. me. Right. Seems yeah, logical. we got more on Rob, so we're going to arrest you. <laughs> <laughs> Ninety minutes later in the interrogation room, Matthew starts to confess. Oh my gosh. They always confess. They always confess. In later documents, part of his confession is recorded, and I have a little bit of a transcript from it. He says, Sometime around midnight, Lisa woke me up. She was upset. She couldn't believe I fell asleep on Christmas Eve. She was real mad. And she was also upset about her father and mother being alone on Christmas Eve. She said she was going out. She was standing in front of the dresser. I tried to stop her from getting dressed. I had her in my arms. She bit me on my right bicep. I pulled away. She was under my left arm and we fell to the floor. I put my right arm around her neck and she said she hated me. I asked her to please calm down as I squeezed her. And a few minutes later, she was quiet. Wow. Basically, he's saying he's just holding her so tight to try and get her to calm down that he strangled her to death. Bullcrap, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. For weeks, Diane refused Lisa's mom, Diane, refused to believe that Matthew had anything to do with it. She tells the police 
people that they always, there's no way, first of all, there's no way that he would do it. She doesn't believe. And then people, the police can get people to confess things all the time. So she like 100% was like, no, I believe that the police like coerced this confession out of him in 90 minutes. (laughs) She's just convinced that he's innocent and her killer is still out there. Apparently, she's the only one that believes this, though, because you remember that cousin that found Lisa? Yeah. Okay. Well, he had been suspicious of Matthew since the night that she had been found. The first thing that clued him in was that when Matthew arrived to the scene, everyone was on one side of the road, and he pulled up to the opposite side, gets out of the car, and makes a beeline for the body. Oh, wow. So he knew exactly what side of the road she was on. So he realizes this and is like, how the heck does he know where she is? No one is over there. We're on the opposite side of the street. Like, what's going on? So he runs after him and grabs him before he gets to the body. And he says he was stopping him from touching anything at the scene because then it would contaminate the evidence and there would be no, there would be a reason for his prints to be on the bag. You know... Come on. I love me a smart thinking cousin. Yes. Because gosh, like I I don't even know that I would think that quick on my feet. Like, oh my gosh, no, let me go grab him so that he doesn't contaminate this scene. Let's don't give him an excuse to have evidence at the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I got out of my car and that's why my carpet fibers are on the top of that bag. Like what? Anyway. So he immediately brings this to the attention of the police and they inform him that Matthew has, is under investigation and that they just want him to keep it under his hat and act like everything is normal, don't raise suspicion, and just kind of talk to him and see where he is. You know, you know like, what is, what's Matthew thinking? Just talk to him like, you know, you're a concerned family member. So just while they gather evidence. So throughout this time, they had found that fiber in the car and then they also found the video from a local 7-Eleven where Matthew is buying garbage bags on Christmas Eve. Yeah. he. I mean, why did he kill her? Well, I don't, I don't really I just know don't think that. it was like spur of the moment in the middle of a struggle. Like, oh, we're fighting about Christmas Eve and all of a sudden I'm just trying to make her calm. I'm just going to squeeze her neck real quick and... Things just happened. Right. I don't necessarily believe that that's the case either, but only because of kind of the next little bit about Matthew. So in October of 1988, his trial begins, and you would think that this is open and shut because of the confession and the video and the fibers. But Matthew's lawyers used the victim-blaming defense, which basically was like, uh, Lisa is hot-headed and violent, and that was the reason that Matthew had done it. Now, so he was trying to defend himself? That's what they yes. were saying? Okay. And right before this, I believe it was like the preppy murders. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where they, I don't know, a group of kids, or kids, I call them kids because they were probably young, but like they killed a girl, but they said that she lured them out Mm-hmm. And basically kind of they – anyway, it was it was a defense in that case. And so they kind of went that line. Interesting. Yeah. So he's basically saying she drove him to do it. And the jury ends up finding him guilty but not of intentional murder. 
he is guilty of depraved indifference murder. Do you know what that is? No. Yes, clearly I didn't either, and I had to look this up. And it is a murder resulting not from a specific conscious intent to cause death, but from an indifference or disregard of the risk of their conduct or actions. So he just didn't, like, have an idea of what he was doing is what they found out, found him guilty of. Like, he didn't care that what he was doing was going to hurt her. It's not that he didn't know. He just didn't care, I think. Does that make sense? I mean, no. He, he didn't <laughs> consciously go out to kill her that right. night. But he knew what he was doing was going to cause something. But not necessarily death. Right. And he just didn't care. He was just like, I'm still going to squeeze her as tight as I can. Oh, no, I killed her. I don't know. I'm sorry. That smells like murder. I know. I know. I agree. And it's crazy. Anyway. But he is sentenced to 18 years to life in prison. And he applies for parole starting at 18 years and does so every two years. And he comes before the parole board seven times. And after serving 30 years, they finally approve his parole. But he must attend anti-aggression and domestic violence counseling and abstain from using alcohol. And he was released in June of 2019. Wow. So he'd be out there. (laughs) He's out there now. Um, he had shown that he had a comprehensive plan when he left. He had a job offer. How he got a job offer while he is in prison, I have no idea. Hmm. He showed remorse. However, he was married two times while in prison. Okay. Yeah, I don't even know how that happens. And he fathered a daughter. So, yeah, this is where... Diane kind of becomes a little bit more convinced that it was done a little more maliciously than the courts had decided because he immediately starts like dating in prison somehow, like not long after. And she's like, well, did you ever love my daughter? Like what happened? You're dating already. You don't even have remorse. But anyway, married two times and fathers a daughter while in prison. So I don't know how that happens. And his daughter had a, played a part in getting him parole and she had sent letters to petition on behalf of his grandson because now he has a grandson too. <laughs> like, wow. Yes. He, there's a Facebook page for him and there's all these pictures of certificates that he got in prison for education. There's a letter from a judge that presided over his case. And in the letter, which was in 1998, the judge was 73 and he didn't know how much longer he was going to be alive. And he was prompted to write to the parole board, no one requested this, and he just wanted to write and say that he, Matthew, should be granted parole as soon as he's eligible. Why? I don't know. But apparently this judge thought that he was not guilty of, you know, murdering. It was this Well, I mean, maybe indis- he's just been rehabilitated. Well, it's possible. If it was this, it was, if it was literally like, you're in a fight, you're doing this, you're holding her super tight, and she died, which is what he is saying has happened, Mm -hmm. then maybe you can be rehabilitated. Well, I mean, it sounds like that they had a very volatile relationship anyways from what you were saying. It was very like, we fight, we make up, we fight, we make up. That was just kind of their thing. 
So mm-hmm. the fact that they were in like a knockdown drag out, that could be possible. Right. Yeah. I mean, and yes, those things do lead to physical altercations a lot of the time when they're frequent. So, yeah. But, but like you still killed her and put her in a garbage bag and put her on the side of the road. Right. Yeah. And he just basically said he like freaked out at that point when she stopped breathing and whatnot. He just freaked out. And so that's kind of was his like or Diane's argument all the time. Like you could have called the police at any point in that altercation and gotten her help or tried to get an ambulance or even if you knew she was gone, still called the police and said this is an accident. Not go to the store, buy trash bags and Mm -hmm basically put her in the fetal position because that's the only way she fit in there. And, and then lied and lied while all these people were searching for her. Right. Acted like the distressed husband and takes control out of all... Uh, anyway. And tried to pin it on Rob, kind of. Right. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, he did try and pin it on Rob because he's the one that told them about Rob. Mm-hmm. Rob wouldn't have been a even a blip on their radar. Exactly. Had... You know, he hadn't said, oh, there's this weird guy from work named Rob. He wouldn't have even, because it's not like Lisa was complaining about this guy to people at work. You know, she just thought he was like this innocent guy that was lonely or whatever. Anyway. Hmm. So another one, murderer. Is Matthew on Long Island? He, you know. I can't remember. I did see where he he is. Some he's still in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he probably can't leave the state, right? Right. So, but I mean, I'm assuming that he's just living his life. I mean, I don't know, but his her family is. I actually reached out to a niece because when he was up for parole, she had like posted a petition online to like, you know, people to sign. Cause clearly at that point there is Facebook. Cause this was only, when did I say he was released in 2019 <laughs> last year? Um, she was like petitioning, but I didn't hear back. So I don't know if she, you know, looks at it or not, but anyway, um, yeah, she's, people were still fighting. Mom was still fighting to like make sure that he stayed in and she's just, beside herself i mean there's so many articles and news reports about her and you know how she's just so upset that he got out because he murdered her and it's not like it you know had maybe had he i'm not saying she said this but maybe had he called the police and at least admitted it at the time it would have been more of an obvious oh this happened by mistake Mm -hmm. yes you would you still be upset that it happened yeah clearly but You'd, it'd be more believable that this was an accident than absolutely the steps that he took after. Yeah, and would have shown immediate remorse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm. Well, let's hope he served his time and is going to be a productive member of society. Yeah, I hope so. Hope yeah. I never cross paths. I agree. And I do feel bad for Lisa's family because I can't imagine. Yeah, that just seems like, um, you know, a level of injustice that probably none of us will ever be able to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) You know, nothing can really bring your 
family member back. So, mm-hmm. but let's hope the system did what it was supposed to do. Yep. Well, we here's to hoping. <laughs> Godspeed for wife number two. Yeah. <laughs> or number yeah, no four or however many wives he's yeah, had. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know if he's still <laughs> married to the one, the second one in jail. Yeah. Okay. Well, I liked that Long Island story. Yeah. Bring it and back. I heard Bring I heard back. no accent. And I'm really I disappointed. I, I know. I should have done it on purpose, although then it would have been obvious. <laughs> Do you want to get a word in real quick? What's your favorite Long Island word? Oh, my Woulda. gosh. I don't even. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even know. Uh... <laughs> Do you want to have some I'm going to take my dog for a walk. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> that was good. It sounded like your mom. <laughs> There you go, Linda. <laughs> I liked it. That was a good one. Thank you for my true crime fix this week. Thank you for listening. You're welcome. And thank you guys for listening as well. We hope that you have found our mugs. We have mugs for sale. Yes. Uh... Great big giant Crimes and Closets coffee mugs with our tagline on the back. And it's my favorite mug. They're on sale for $24. Go find our social media or send us an email and we'll send you some information about it. Crimesandclausens at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us on all the things, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're happy to connect with you and we want to hear your case suggestions. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and review. And check back with us next week for another True Crime Fix. Hopefully with your coffee mug. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. And remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closet.